Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. It's a free gift. It sets us free, right? Because my righteousness comes from Jesus, I don't get to be better than you, right? We got the same deal. We believed, we received, we've been made righteous. Who gets the glory for our righteousness when we come through faith? He gets all the glory. So then now we're not a bunch of religious snobs running around looking up our nose at one another like, well, I prayed this long. And did you do the Bible reading all year? I did every day. You know, we, we don't get to do that because our righteousness is wrapped up in him. Everyone has different struggles. But other than that, what makes us different from each other? We may come from different families and histories, but at the end of the day, we're all human beings with troubles of our own and emotions that try to rule us. Pastor Bill reminds us today that while most religions separate and categorize, Christianity does the opposite. It's the great equalizer. None of us can work our way to heaven. We've all fallen short of God's glory, and that's what makes His saving grace so sweet. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 9 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. One of the things that we want to be careful about is expecting Jesus to come in a way that he did not say he was going to come. Jesus just didn't meet up to their expectation. They had dreamed up a Messiah that the Bible didn't speak about. The Jews had dreamed up a Messiah that was going to be a military. He was going to crush the Romans, but it was never prophesied that he was coming to crush the Romans. In their mind, they had this image of what it was going to be like. And when Jesus came in the town, how did he come in? Riding on a donkey. Not even a full size one. He got the coat, but he got the baby donkey. I mean, he came in riding. You couldn't have, you couldn't have come in in anything more humble than Jesus. And they just said, that's not, that's not what we're looking for. He's not even a fighter. I mean, he just preach and speak, but that's what he sent. That's how the Lord presented himself. And so we always want to be careful. I always, like, I, I, I always correct people when they place unbiblical expectations on the Lord. Because I think that's one of Satan's tricks to get people turned off to the Lord. I expected God to do this, but he never said he would. And then he didn't do what I expected him to do that he never said he was going to do. Now I'm mad at him for not doing what I expected him to do. So you want to be careful about raising up un- unbiblical expectations. You know, I-, I expect everything to work out great for me because I'm saved. What verse is that? What verse is that? Everything is going to always go your way. I expect to never lose my job because I'm saved. I expect to never have problems with my kids because I'm saved. I mean, you find me those verses, but I don't, they ain't in there, not in this 66 book. So, you know, you got to be careful about, you know, when something goes wrong or some difficulty happens, I expected God to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm disappointed. And it's like, but he never said that. I've, I've had to talk to people at really low moments and, you know, I'm, I want to comfort them and love them, but I want to help them. I'm like, you know, there's, you know, God never said that wouldn't happen. He never promised that. If you get mad at him for not doing something he didn't say, think about how that, if I, if I, if I, if, if there's something that you never said you, you never made a commitment to do, and then someone got mad at you for not doing it, you'd be like, what's your problem? You know, like, you can't even fix that. You know, it's just their problem. So we got to be careful about that. That's what the Jews did. That's one of the reasons. Um, they also rejected him because they love their religion. They have religion. And religion feels good to sinners. You know why? Because religion doesn't require anything underneath the surface. And so a lot of people are religious. Today, there's churches full of religious people. Right now, I'm going to make it right. I've been a fool all week. I done cussed people out. I've been breaking commandments. I've, there are people that were fornicating last night that are at church right now doing their make. I'm getting it right. 
I just want to get my feel good. When I was a kid, my experience with church, the few times we did go, was when things had gotten so bad at home where we had messed, things were just so messed up that my mom would say, we need to go so that, you know, just so we could feel good. And I was like, I don't feel good when I go. Me and my sister would sit at church and I would take the, the papers in the back and we would draw pictures of people in there. And then um, I, my sister would look for ugly women and be like, that's your wife. And I would look for ugly men and be like, that's, that's all we did. It was, there was nothing spiritual happening there. That was my experience with church as a kid. I'm so sorry. Um, that's what it was, you know. We want to be cautious about those things. And so moving on, verse 28 says, he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make it short upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. And so they recognize that even though there's mercy and judgment, if God hadn't at least left the seed that he left us, we'd be just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah were completely wiped out. The Jews, there's at least a remnant. So he's saying with the Jews, there's at least going to be some Jews that get saved. With Sodom and Gomorrah, God says, smoke the whole place. None left. There, you can't go visit Sodom and Gomorrah today. It's because it's got smoke. It's over. And so God says, even though there's going to be judgment upon Israel for rejecting him, there's mercy and judgment. There's some room left. And for those of you that were with us, as we did our studies of the book of Revelation. One of the awesome things in Revelation we see after the rapture of the church, one of the groups that really turns back to the Lord are the Jews during the tribulation period. There are going to be thousands of Jews that finally get it. The 144,000s. That the Jehovah's Witnesses are out there thinking that they're part of. Those are Jewish. I don't know how they believe it. They're Jewish virgins. They be out there with their kids, so I know you're not a virgin. And um, they black, so I know they're not Jewish. And um, so it's like, how can you be? How could you possibly be one of the 144,000? Anyway, that group of people are going to be out there preaching the gospel. 144,000 evangelized. There are going to be tons of Jews that get saved in that period. So there would be a remnant that gets saved. And God's left room for that. Mercy and judgment. Verse 30 now. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they are stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. This is the deal there. God is saying, look, the Jews are stumbled because I made it so easy. How do you get saved? By faith. And the Jewish people are extreme religious people. They have outfits and they have, you know, customs and they keep laws. And they took the laws of God and they, they made them even more than what they were. And they like their religion. Religion makes people feel good. It makes people that aren't doing right feel good because I do all these things make me feel better. I believe that there's some people that, that want to serve. They want to do a whole lot of serving and giving and doing not really for the Lord, just to make them feel better about all the bad stuff that they, they've been doing. I had an uncle uh, years ago when I was at my old church, and my uncle had been a drug addict his whole life. To my knowledge, had never walked with God, served God, known God, anything else. And he knew I was in church, and he called for me. So I was like, yeah, I'll go see him. And I, I was, you know, I was a Christian. I wasn't in ministry or anything, but I went to go pray with him. And he had his wife with this envelope. It was a big amount of money. And he said, I want you to please take this to the church. And it's a sad thing. I believe that what he believed was that giving this to the church was going to, you know, going to make a way for him. And, you know, we shared the gospel with him and prayed with him. 
But, you know, I, I was pretty young in the Lord at that time. But as I grew in the Lord, I always look back to that and think, man, I wonder. I, it makes me wonder if that's what the thought was. I'm going to give all this money. Is, is God's going to be pleased with that? I'm going to tell you this. You can't give enough money to please God. God wants you. Right. He wants you. Not, he's not as concerned. If someone's here and they're not saved, we, we don't we don't even want you to give. God wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants your stuff. He doesn't want your things. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to know how much he loves you. He wants you to love him in response. He wants there to be worship flowing out of your life. God wants an intimate love relationship with you. He wants that far more than your service or your things. I try not to make you what you, you're giving God the emphasis because I never know on a given Sunday how many people here, they still need Jesus. There are people here to know the Lord. And if you know the Lord, then you know that program. You know what's up. But maybe not. Maybe there are people that come here and they don't know God. I don't want to spend 50 minutes telling you how much you need to give him something. When God is saying what I really want them to give me is their hearts. I want to save them. I want to have a relationship. I want to fill their life. I want them to know my joy. I want them to know intimacy with me. He wants that from you more than anything you can give. Anything you can give in service. Anything you can give materially. He wants you first. Amen. So the Jews were missing that. They were given service and duties and things. And God was saying, I just want y'all to come to me by faith. And so the Jews couldn't get it. So imagine being a Jew and you keep laws and all the men get circumcised and you wear the right outfits and you wash the right way. and You do all the right things on the right days and you fast and you tithe and you do all these things. And then you got these ragtag Gentiles. They, they wear whatever they want to wear. They do whatever they want to do. And they just coming in and saying, I believe in Jesus. And they're saved now. Imagine how offensive that was to the Jews looking at them like, but, 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 but we do all these things. And, and they're just saved just like that. And God said, yeah, just like that. And it was blowing them away. They couldn't stand it. And what happened, we'll see later, you read the, the epistles of the New Testament. The Jewish people kept coming back to, the, to the, those, those Christians saying, no, you got to do some of our rules. And in Galatians, they came back and said, no, no, you got to believe in Jesus. And then you got to also be circumcised. It's not fair that we had to do this and y'all don't. Y'all got to at least do that much. And there are letters in the Bible written where God is saying, no, you don't. No, you don't. We're going to correct that. That's the kind of mess that was happening. They were like, they were so encumbered. Instead of letting their religion go, they wanted to stick their religion on other people. Be careful that you don't be sticking your religion on other people because church folk do that. You're going to wear that. You know, it's like, I, I'm cautious about, you know, there are people I know that they're not saved yet. So I don't talk to unsaved people like they got a commitment with the Lord. You're going to smoke all that. You're going to drink the whole thing. You know, like they ain't saved, of course. You know, there's a place where when someone gets saved, this is the cool thing, right? When you get born again, when I got saved, I didn't need a whole lot of outside comments. God began to do a work inside and inside out. It was like, I probably need to stop that. And it's always better when it goes that way. When God says, now I'm living on the inside and God's living on the inside saying, you probably shouldn't wear that. That's giving the wrong message. And you start checking yourself like, man, the reason I would used to do this right here is because I was trying to go out there and do that. But I'm not trying to go out there and do that no more. So do I want to look like that? Probably not. And you just start changing things, you know, start. And this is inside out. Nobody screamed at me. Nobody said, you know, if you really love God, you will change this. You know, God did put my, my wife in my life. So she kind of helped speed up the process. You know, she she wanted me to get out of my gangster clothes. So she was like, I want you know, she, she got me to go shopping with her. Put me in dockers and, and button down shirts. Made a complete suck out of me, you know. <laughs> but I got the girl. So <laughs> chapter 10, verse one. Now, what do you do when your heart's burdened for someone that you want to see them saved, but they just seem so far away? What can you do? 
Paul had a burden for the Jews and he's seeing how far away from God they are. And so chapter 10, verse one tells us what he did. And it's what we should do, too. It says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. He says, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel. It starts with a heart's desire and it moves over to a prayer. Right. Some people have a heart's desire and then they just don't start talking. You start praying. We understand that when people are lost and God wants to save them, there's a spiritual battle ensuing. When someone's not saved, who do they belong to in the spirit realm? They belong to the devil. You're just gonna, you, you think you're just going to go snatch them out of the devil's hand? It's a battle. It's a fight, right? When you start engaging in gospel preaching ministry or ministering the gospel one to another, there's a battle there. Satan's like, I own them. And you're not going to just go in and be like, hey, come with me over here. You need to be praying for it. First pray. What do you pray for? What do I pray for someone that's not saved? This is what you pray for. When I'm thinking of someone that's not saved, there's a few things, right? Um, one thing the Bible tells me is that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded people that they wouldn't even see clearly. So one thing I pray when I'm praying for non-believers, God, I pray you would open their eyes. I pray you bind Satan that blinds them, that they might at least see clearly and, and understand when the gospel is presented. God, I pray you soften their hearts if they've hardened their heart over time i pray you'd open blind eyes i pray you would you would go before the preaching of the message you go before the presentation of the gospel lord that you would do all those things then i'm gonna just come with the message about who you are and what you did and try to save myself out of it as much as possible and then leave it up to you but you pray you ask the lord to go before you pause it in my heart's prayer to god i'm praying first and so i would encourage you here if there are people in your life right now that you say man i really want to see them saved write their names down Right there, let it be something you pray about every day. Let it be something you lift up to the Lord every day. I got somebody in my life right now that I'm, I have a couple people, but one in particular that my heart just, I'm grieved. I'm bummed out. I want them saved bad. Now, it's one of the most powerless feelings in the world when it's like, I can't, all these other people I can minister to, and there's people that are really close to me family-wise. I'm like, I can't seem to break through there. And the Lord's like, keep praying, keep praying. And then and I see God do little things. When I, I turn prayer up, you know, one of this family members called the other day and they, they had a, they had about four funerals in a row. After four funerals, you've been confronted with death and death and death and death. And it's got you thinking a little different. And I saw God did that. God did that to at least open up some conversation again and get them thinking about what happens after. And, then, and then at the funerals, not all of them, but it sounds like at, at least two of the funerals, the gospel was very well proclaimed. I take that as God's working. And so we pray. You got people that are lost. Pray for them. Pray for them. What some Christians do to the lost is they get mad at them, annoyed with them. And some Christians take it personal that they're not receiving what you're telling them. And you can't do that. If I'm sharing the gospel with someone and they reject what I'm sharing, are they rejecting me? No, they're rejecting the Lord. Um, the way I always like to illustrate that is because um, I, I do a little Cupid ministry and I'll be trying to hook people up and get them married and everything. So. If I go to someone and I'm like, hey, brother, you know, this person over here, I might be somebody you want to go have a chat with. You know, I'm just throwing it out there. And if, I'm just trying to hook two people up. Right. I'm, I'm going to tell you that they, they said they were interested in you. I'm letting you know what they said. Now, they respond to me like, Ugh, oh, no, never. <laughs> now, you know, just now they're just disgusted at the thought. Right. They haven't rejected. And I feel bad for my friend. I got to go back and say, uh, they said that maybe not right now at the time, you know. <laughs> But they haven't rejected me. I, I don't take that personal, right? That doesn't hurt my feelings. I don't go home like, I can't believe they did that to me. You know, it's just, I'm just, I'm just the in-between. And so when it comes to sharing the gospel, I'm coming to someone and I'm saying, man, there's someone that loves you so much. 
I'm going to tell you what they did for you. And I'm going to share their message with you. And I'm going to encourage you to consider them, to take a look at them. That you need to give you, that's what you need to hook up with. That's what I'm doing. And if they say, no, I'm not, okay, you, it's your loss. You know, I come back to you after, after you lose a little bit more and we'll try this again. But it's not personal. Sometimes we take it personal and then we get offended and then we get mad at them. And then you be mad at the people that need you. And they know you mad at them. And that's one of Satan's ploys. How do I separate people that know the truth from those that need the truth? I'll make them mad at each other. I'll make those that know the truth so annoyed with the sinners just doing things that sinners do that they don't want to deal with them, be around them at all. And I'll, because you act so nasty with them, they're going to feel the same way about you. I can't stand you either. And now y'all are just separated. Those that have the truth and those that need it get separated. Don't let Satan play that trick on you. I've had that trick played on me and I've recognized it at a point. I'm like, man, I'm, I am perturbed and frustrated and it's showing in my actions and my behavior. And now they're put off by my actions and behavior. And now there's great distance between the people that need what I have the most. So who's got to be the one to kind of make the distance? It's got to be me and you. I got to go ahead and lay down my religion, lay down my expectations and my desires, and my rules and just go love on some people that ain't doing it the way I want them to do it. Um, because if I'm not there, I can't even be a witness. I can't even be a light to them. So Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And that's the first thing I'm going to say you could do for those that aren't saved. You pray for them. I mean, you want to have a heart. You want to have a passion. You want to have a burden. But you want to take those things to the Lord in prayer because it's a spiritual thing. Verse two, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. The Jewish people were very zealous for God, but it was not a zeal. That was in keeping with knowledge of God, knowledge of his word. And so when you see people out, when I look at the Jehovah's Witness, that's zeal. I mean, they're faithfully out there going and doing and going and doing. That's zeal. That's passion. They're going. But it's, it's not according to knowledge of the truth. A lot of times when believers first get saved, they're very zealous, but then they just do stuff wrong. You know, I look back at some of the things I did when I first got saved and I realized like, wow, wow, wow. I mean, I. I just did it wrong. I thought I was doing good, too. I was coming at people all kind of tough. And I, I look back and I had to go back and fix things. Um, there was last year when my daughter was at Inglewood High, a young lady got saved. And I'll never forget this. My, my daughter was trying to reach out to her. And she was like, man, dad, every, every lunch she smokes weed with these kids and this and that. And the girl got saved. Harmony was so excited. She was like, dad, she gave her life to the Lord and she's not smoking anymore. And so they were in a class and my daughter calls me from her class. She's like, Dad, I'm scared. I'm like, what happened? So this girl that got saved and the people she used to smoke with, she, in her zeal, she was like, the guy, one of the guys that she used to smoke with regularly, he had some. He was like, hey, look what I got. And she took it and was like, I don't do this anymore. You shouldn't do it anymore. Jesus doesn't want us to do this. And she took all his weed. And she was not giving it back. He was like, give me my stuff back. She was like, no, give my stuff back. He's like, no. And my daughter's calling. She said, Dad, he has her pinned up against the wall because she won't give him back his, his weed. And I'm like, I mean, I understand her heart, you know what I'm saying? But that was zeal, but that was not according to knowledge. You can't take the man dope and demand that he, he not saved yet, you know? But she barely just got saved, but I remember I thought, oh, that was so cute. We talked to her afterwards, you know? I said, you know, you don't pray for them, be a why You don't want to really be going around snatching people's drugs away, you know? <laughs> you, might get, you might get beat up, you know? So, so there was zeal, passion, but it was not according to knowledge. So we want to be careful about that. That was what the Jews had. A lot of zeal, a lot of passion, but not according to the truth. Verse three, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 
This is simply said the Jews wanted to be right in their own way. They wanted to make they wanted a righteousness that was them doing the right things. God said, no, I, I offer righteousness through faith. You put your faith in me. I put my righteousness upon you. That's how God wants it to work. Nobody here can be right enough. I don't want to gross you out. I don't want to be gross for nothing, but it's in the Bible. So I'm going to give it to you. The Bible says in Isaiah that your and my righteousness is as filthy rags. And when you look that up in the Hebrew or the original language, the term filthy rags is a used menstrual cloth. That's, I know. That's, that, that's, that's what I was, I first read that. I was like, can I say that at church? You know what I'm saying? That's nasty, right? It's really nasty, but God says, so then get the picture. That's how I feel about your rights. So when you come to me offering up your righteousness, the way you just felt all that, oh my God, that, God says, that's how I feel about your rights. Don't offer me that. Please don't come offering me your righteousness. God says, you just come in faith. Take my righteousness, right? Now, his righteousness is not a filthy rag. It's a beautiful thing. It's a free gift. It sets us free. Right. Because my righteousness comes from Jesus. I don't get to be better than you. Right. We got the same deal. We believed we received. We've been made righteous. Who gets the glory for our righteousness when we come through faith? He gets all the glory. So then now we're not a bunch of religious snobs running around, looking up our nose at one another. Like, well, I prayed this long. And did you do the Bible reading all year? I did every day. You know, we, we don't get to do that because our righteousness is wrapped up in him. I got the same deal you got. That's what God wants because God knows how we are. And if it was left up to us, we would be one up in one another. And we'll be looking at other churches. Oh, you guys, you guys don't do that? Because mm, we do that. And that's, that's, that's how people get religious. Thinking like now, if I have anything to do with my right standing, I, I get prideful. I'm going to go to heaven one day and I have nothing to do with it. Jesus did everything necessary to take me to heaven. So he gets all the glory, all the credit, all the shine. I'm a, I'm a recipient of a great gift. I get to worship him for it. I can praise him for it. I can respond in service and worship and thankfulness, but it's a gift and I received it, right? I'm not a big deal because I'm a pastor. That's my part in the body. It's not a bigger part than the worship team, the sound guy, the people that are doing children's ministry, the people that set up and tear down. We're all just doing our part in the body. Who's the big deal whenever we gather? I tell you all the time, Jesus is always the big deal, right? I'm up here, but if I'm up here and I become the big deal, I did this wrong, right? I'm up here proclaiming to you guys that Jesus is the big deal. If you leave here, I want you to leave here realizing that Jesus is everything. He's done everything for me. Everything I need is wrapped up in Jesus. If you never walk in this building again, but you get Jesus, that's a win. That's a win for the church of Jesus Christ, that you would know Jesus and his forgiveness and his righteousness upon your life. Amen. Amen. And so moving on now. So, so the Jews were missing it because they wanted their religion and they were missing out on what God was extending and offering to them. And then verse Five, for Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of the law. The man who does those things shall die by them. And so, again, if you live according to the law, you're going to die. You can't keep the law. You can't do it. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. So we're not reaching up high in heaven to go get God, bring him down. We're not reaching down to the abyss to bring God. God says, my word is right in you. It is in your heart. I place it there. It is near you. It is in your mouth and it's in your heart. God says, I place it within you. There are certain things that we innately know without even any teaching. We just, we know them because they're the truth. 
God's placed them in our hearts. That he's revealed them to us. He's made us aware of these things. They're things that people just know as we have those things and the things that God has revealed, God has made known to us. If you talk to people that have no religious experience, there'll be things that they just innately know. Is it wrong to murder somebody? You'd be hard pressed to find non-believers that are like, I don't think it's okay. You know, we just know, we know it's wrong to lie. Everybody knows, that's why, that's why you hide it and try to cover it up. There's certain things that God's got placed these things in your heart, written them on your heart. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on a transforming word as he works his way through the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul dove into the mysteries of faith in this letter to the church in Rome, drawing on a rich history found in the Old Testament. He looks back to the faith of Abraham, which was counted to him as righteousness. This is what he had to say about the patriarch in chapter 4, verses 20 to 21. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Since we get to participate in the righteousness that comes through faith, let's set our hearts and minds on the power of God to do everything he had promised. We're so glad you decided to spend your time with us today. There's so much more that Paul gave us through the letter to the Romans, from deep theology to practical instructions on how to live. You won't want to miss a message, and we've made it easy for you to stay connected through Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. But we also have a free mobile app with access to our messages. To find out, head over to calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. Look under the media tab to find a plethora of messages in our mobile app. While you're on the website, take a look around. We have a lot more available to you, including a daily Bible reading plan. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll see you here next time, where we will again bring you a transforming word.